Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. I probably shouldn't sing, but welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horsley, and today on the show, we've got Melissa chatting it up with fantasy crime writer, fantasy writer out of the UK, Peter McLean. He has a book out called Priest of Bones. He's got the War of the Rose Throne a series. Uh, it's a lot of good stuff. And he comes on and chats with Melissa about his books, his his uh, his writing process when he does and um maybe some stuff in the works for i don't know something in the moving picture world i don't know but you'll find out here in a minute when you listen to it because what i'm gonna do right now because i don't like wasting your time when i'm by myself and that is i'm gonna have you listen to mr peter mclean in his own words with melissa This is Spoiler Country, and I'm Melissa Searcha. Today on the show, I'm so excited to welcome the author of the War for the Rose Throne series, the brilliant Peter McLean. Welcome to the show. Hi, Melissa. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. So just to give a little bit of background, we know each other sort of through Twitter, the writing community on there and through Pitch Wars. You're very active on Twitter. And so we've kind of engaged for the past couple of years. So I'm really excited to get to chat with you today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So Peter, when did you start writing and how long did it take for you to get published the first time? Oh, good grief. I've, I've kind of been writing on and off since I was in high school, I think, but I only sort of started taking it seriously in my late 30s because I was I got married, building a career, all that sort of thing that uh, distracts people <laughs> from what they do, obviously. But no, I, I got back into it. I'm trying to think when it was now, probably in the late 2000s, I think. And yeah, I wrote. I, I used to be on a, a forum called SFF World. We did a lot of flash fiction and short story competitions and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they put out a self-published anthology of short stories done by members. And I had a short story in that. And I, I can't remember what it was called now, but I liked it a lot. And I thought, oh, no, I can make a book out of this. So I did. I turned it into a novel, which became Drake, the first of the Burn Man books, which mm-hmm. are, current, are now published by Angry Robot. They're a modern day set urban fantasies and i shot that around a couple of agents and didn't really get anywhere and then i threw it into the angry robot open door open submissions period one year it must have been about 2013 i think and Mm -hmm. they actually they actually picked it up and they published that and the next three books in that series so that was uh drake dominion and damnation in the burn man series 
And then, then I wrote Priest of Bones, queried that again, and landed my agent, Jenny Golliboy, who's now at DMLA in New York. And we sold that to Ace at Penguin Random House in the United States and Joe Fletcher Books in the UK. Okay. So there's, there's two of those out now. Priest of Lies came out last year, and we're going to have Priest of Gallows out next year and the final of the four, Priest of Crowns in 2022. Okay. Okay. COVID permitting, right. obviously, it's, yeah. thrown, it's thrown everything into a bit of a spin, but that's that's yeah. the current plan anyway. Yeah. Has COVID affected your your writing at all, as far as like your mental state or anything? Um, no, not really. To be honest, I mean, I I do a corporate IT day job, so I'm completely set up to do that from home. I've got my own office at home, so I can I can carry on doing the day job. I write in the evenings and at weekends, same as I always did. I think the only thing is, because I've got my dedicated office at home, which is where I do my writing, is now mm-hmm. also where I do the, the corporate nine to five. I do feel a bit like I never leave this room. But, uh, <laughs> other than that, no, I mean, we're, we're, I'm in a, a fairly small ruralish city in, in the United Kingdom. So where we are, it hasn't actually had a massive impact. I mean, we, we had the same lockdowns everybody else has, obviously, but it's not. Yeah torn through the local community like it has in some of the bigger cities. So that's, there's that to be thankful for, definitely. Yeah, that's very fortunate. So you are still able to go to the store and, you know, do sort of like your 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 things that you did beforehand without too much interruption? Exactly. I mean, there was, there was quite a few months in the UK when all the bars and restaurants and theatres and everything was shut, but it's it's kind of opened up again. Well, it did open up again, and now they're starting to shut things down again because it wasn't very successful to be perfectly honest but uh right <laughs> i mean life goes on it's one of those things you know i just think you know at my age my granddad was at war so i think it could be worse <laughs> you know what i mean absolutely yeah i think that we have a lot to be grateful for and i think you know we do live in a, a time where we're just so used to getting everything you know on demand you know we're a very mm. impatient society so i think sure. when you compare it to yeah with people that went to war and had to deal with you know much greater catastrophes that's a good way to look at it puts it in perspective yeah i'm, I'm very much a count your blessings kind of person i must admit mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, same. I try to stay, you know, as positive as possible. <laughs> so I'm curious, what is your writing process like? Like, take me through it. Are you an outliner? For those um, who who aren't, you know, writers, we have this whole term called plotting versus pantsing, meaning, you know, planning a book out to the detail or writing from the seat of your pants. What's your process like? Yeah, I'm kind of a little bit of both. So I'll do an outline. I couldn't completely pants a book. I'd get lost. But <laughs> I'll do an outline at a fairly high level, and it's kind of the major plot beats of the story. So it's, it's almost like storyboarding it like you would if you're writing a movie. Mm-hmm. But I guess I kind of pants how you get from one to the other, and I'll let things evolve. And if a character does something unexpected that I like, I'll just change the, the projected outline to accommodate what I've just written rather than say, oh no, but he can't do that because the outline says X, Y, Z kind of thing. <laughs> so a little bit of both. But, you okay. know, every, every writing book you read, especially Stephen King's On Writing, mm-hmm. which is a really, really good book. The Writing Manual is a fantastic biography, I've always thought. But there's he, he's got this absolutely hard rule, thou shalt not edit as you go. You know? Mm-hmm. Blurt it mm-hmm. all out. I do the absolute opposite of that. I yeah. will. I edit the thing obsessively as I go. I start each day's writing session by fixing what I wrote the day before. Yeah. Which I know everybody says don't do that, but that's what works for me. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I've got to the end of the draft, it's pretty much done. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I've actually been hearing a lot of authors say that recently. Uh, I started doing it myself too. So yeah, that hard rule I think is, and that probably works for him really well. And I think that it may have been not outdated, but just, you know, the, the industry is constantly changing as we, as we all know. So, you know, I think that a lot of authors are doing that now because yeah, we, we have to get, there's more pressure to get books out a little bit quicker. So, you know, the other rule he has of, of writing a first draft and then putting it away for three months. Well, that's just not always realistic when you have deadlines and mouths to feed, you know? So yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) Exactly that. I think, I mean, as you say, it obviously works for him. He's one of the biggest bestsellers in the world and more power to him. Mm-hmm. I think what's changed is the idea that because something works for somebody successful, it will work for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's just not, I mean, Stephen King's method works for Stephen King. It doesn't work for me. I've, I right. tried it. it. It just isn't how my head works. So I think the big thing for any writer, I think is to find the process that works for you. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, we, we are all different. We all think differently have a different creative process and a large part of, getting the hang of it for want of a better word is to find the process that works for you individually i think yeah absolutely no that makes total sense because yeah we're gonna be on our own path everyone has their own path to publication as well and and now with the internet and the indie publishing there is so many different variables now so you really do have to kind of find you know you have those those authors that can write a book in two weeks um and then you have some that you know take years you know, people like George R. R. Martin, who, who is still, I think, working on the last Game of Thrones book. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's even the last one, is it? I don't think there's supposed to be another two, apparently. <laughs> right. but, uh, yeah, I mean, how anybody writes a book in two weeks, I have no idea. But I mean, like you say, I've, I've heard of people who do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle, I think. It probably takes me six to eight months to write a book, I think, probably. And then... Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's about right. I'm certainly not one of these people that takes years and years over it. Thankfully. Right. <laughs> so you did mention you you kind of wrote in high school, but you know didn't really start actively pursuing it till you were in your 30s. Did you always want to be a published writer from the oh, time uh, you were absolutely. young? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I really did. It's, it's something I always knew I wanted to do, but I think certainly in my teens and early 20s, I was realistic enough to realize two things. One, I wasn't going to make a living at it, certainly not straight away. And two, at the time, I just wasn't good enough. So <laughs> that you have to learn to write by writing. I, I don't, mm. I've never done a creative writing course from MFA or anything like that. I taught myself to write by reading a lot and writing a lot, and I still think that is the best way to do it. Absolutely. So, I mean, I've yeah. written three junk-trunked novels before I wrote Drake, and they, they were my apprenticeship, I look at them as. They were a lot of fun to write, and you know, a couple of close friends read them. But I think I knew deep down that I wasn't there yet. Yeah, yeah. It's very rare to get you know the first thing you ever write published. Mm. Um, oh, it it's, is. It's near near impossible, really. Mm. But then it has happened. I mean, there are some absolute outliners who's, who've had a bestseller with their very first attempt at a novel, but right, <laughs> it's highly unusual. It really is. Yeah. Well, and so when you were reading when you were a kid, what were some of your favorite books that inspired you? Oh, well, I, I grew up as well, certainly as a teenager. I grew up reading mostly horror, actually. I mean, oh. I'm, I'm, I mean I'm old. I was a teenager in the early 80s. You know? <laughs> so there wasn't a hell of a lot of fantasy about. I mean, you had the obviously Lord of the Rings, which I read when I was young. Narnia, Michael Moorcock, I read quite a lot of his stuff. Uh, they were quite uh, instrumental in shaping my view of what fantasy was, I think. 
But other than that, you had Terry Brooks's Shanera and mm-hmm. God awful John Norman bondage books that I can't remember the name of. But there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of fantasy about. But in those days, the horror sections in the bookshops used to be enormous. So, I mean, I grew up on Stephen King, James Herbert, Dean Koontz, Sean Hudson, mm-hmm. all those kind of guys. And um, I used to read a lot of crime fiction as well. I, I read The Godfather when I was probably far too young to be reading The Godfather. <laughs> a lot of Mickey Spillane, all the old Ian Fleming, James Bond books, all that kind of thing. Mm. I think it was probably Tanith Lee that got me into fantasy later in the 80s. With, um, I think one of the first one of hers I read was probably The Birth Grave and then The Flat Earth Cycle. Okay. I absolutely yeah. love that stuff. That was more in the, the older school, Moorcock style of fantasy, I think. It's okay. Wonderful stuff, but it's very different to what people are writing today, by and large. Yeah, it's quite a, a difference. I grew up in the 80s. I'm probably a little bit younger than you, but I was I was born in 79. But oh. I did start start reading pretty early on. And I, I know that there wasn't, even then, There, you know, when I was probably 14, 15, there wasn't a ton of fantasy. And I did start reading a little bit of Piers Anthony, which is oh, yeah. it's kind of it's a little out there. It's kind of sci-fi fantasy in a, in a sense, or it's its own thing. But but yeah, I, I, the horror stuff was also more prominent, like Anne Rice and Stephen King. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened to the horror genre. I mean, there are still, I know loads of people still writing horror, mm-hmm. but I don't know where it's getting sold now. And I don't know what it's like in Barnes & Noble, but Waterstones over here, which is our equivalent big box bookstore, okay. the, horror, the horror section is like one shelf block, whatever you call it, one shelf unit, and it's nearly all Stephen King reprints. There's just oh, wow. so little of it mainstream available, and I don't know where it went, because it used to be such a huge genre. Yeah, and you would think because the horror film industry is still very large, oh, yes, yeah, so you would think that would translate into books as well. And, uh, well, urban fantasy seems to be going the same way. I mean, again, it's still big on TV, Supernatural's in its Whatever that, I don't know, fifteenth, sixteenth season, and still hugely popular. But the the trend for urban fantasy books definitely seems to have dropped off quite a lot. I've noticed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I started writing urban fantasy, and I've just recently, I'm sort of getting more into like the paranormal romance aspect that seems mm-hmm. to be really in demand right now. Everyone wants the the vampires falling in love, that kind of a thing, more yeah. so than they actually care about you know, the urban fantasy quest type of, of books. So it is interesting how that trend is changing. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what drives these sort of big shifts in what's popular and what isn't. I don't know, really. I know, yeah. It, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, I don't know if it's like, you know, hidden critics that, that say one thing and then it sways people a certain way. You know, who knows how that, they're orchestrating the strings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I guess if we did, we'd uh, we'd be huge bestsellers, wouldn't we? So, you know. well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you're you're pretty much there. <laughs> so, yeah, that brings me to uh, your your series, War for the Rose Throne. Your first book in that series, Priest of Bones. I'm I'm really curious. A lot of people have compared it to Peaky Blinders or The Godfather. It's fantasy crime fiction. What inspired you to write Priest of Bones? Oh, well, you hit it right on the head there. It's fantasy crime fiction. So those are my two favorite genres to read, crime fiction and fantasy. And I just wanted to mash the two together. I don't know. Have you ever read Denny Joe Abercrombie? I have not. I will okay. look that okay. up. So, yeah, so he, he writes superb fantasy fiction. But there's a scene in his book, Best Served Cold, where there's an assassin's on the trail of the heroine. 
And he goes to what's basically a fantasy opium den kind of thing, mm. beats up the local gangster. And I thought, oh, I want to write about that guy. <laughs> not, not the assassin, because there's thousands of books about assassins. I want to write about the guy that runs the opium den. Because <laughs> I just haven't really seen it before. And I thought, mm. well, you know, I love gangster, gangster books, crime novels. Really big fan of gangster movies. My, one of my favorite genres. And I must oh, okay. have seen Goodfellas and Godfather till I've worn them thin kind of thing. And I, okay. yeah. I thought, I want to take something like that. And your classic swords and horses, semi-historical type of fantasy with not much magic in it, and just ram them together and see what comes up with. And I'd, I already had the title because I, I cannot write a book until it's got a title. Mm-hmm. And it, ne- it never changes. That's, they're very important to me. And I'd written Priest of Bones on a post-it note about a year before and I had the faintest idea what it was or what I was going to do with it. I just thought it sounded cool, oh, so I wrote it down. Yeah, it <laughs> I thought, right, so why not make the gangster a priest? And away we go. It. I love it. <laughs> and it, it came from there, really. It's just, yeah. One of those sort of that. lightning bolts of inspiration moments. <laughs> I thought, that's what we're going to do. But yeah, I mean, it, it is very godfathery. It's, it is a gangster novel with a fantasy hat on, rather than a fantasy novel about gangsters, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's quite yeah. short by fantasy standards. It's only 120 odd thousand words. When you think of your, your big fat mm-hmm. Robert Jordan doorstop is easily a quarter of a million, some of them pushing 300,000. So by fantasy standards, it isn't a long book. I wanted it to feel like a crime thriller. It's got that sort of length, that kind of pacing, short chapters, mm-hmm. keep you turning the pages kind of thing. And uh, that's what I was going for anyway. I, hope, I think it worked. A lot of yeah. people said it did anyway. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, obviously uh, it's working pretty well. And I think by doing that, you've sort of opened up this you know, new type of a subgenre. And I, I'd be interested to see how many uh, writers, you know, get inspired by your books and and try to you know, right in that genre as well, you know. It'd be very cool. I'd love to say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've also recently uh, just announced on Twitter that the War for the Throne, Rose Throne series is being adapted for television. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it is. It's been optioned for television, which I don't think is quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been optioned by Heyday Television in partnership with NBCR Universal. For those that don't know, Heyday is the TV company owned by David Heyman, who made the Harry Potter movies and Tarantino oh, wow. upon a time in Hollywood. So it's got some very serious backing, which is fantastic. And I know they're heyday are actively looking for a screenwriter at the moment. Okay. But I mean, it's wonderful news. I'm absolutely thrilled about it. But I know I'm aware enough to know there are a hell of a lot of steps between selling an option and <laughs> seeing a TV show on screen. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not, uh, not putting the cart before the horse on that one. But it is absolutely amazing it's not something i ever thought would happen well it's, so, no, it's very exciting and i think that. that is sort of you know what i think every author you know that's their their goal their dream you know to see it on the big screen whether they admit it or not publicly i think deep down inside everyone wants to see that happen so that's just awesome congratulations first of all Thank it's you. huge so did you did you do anything to celebrate i mean did you like what where were you when you got the news Oh, well, now you see, I've known for over a year. I just haven't been able to say anything. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been under NDA for about, I don't know, 13, 14 months. So I can't actually remember. Okay. I know I was I was astonished because, I mean, I didn't, never entered my head. Mm-hmm. And an agent at United Talent had reached out to my agent 
because Heyman had apparently read the book and reached out to this guy at UTA, and I, I can only assume said, get me this, or whatever. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> and so I'm on a call with this big shot movie agent, and I'm just thinking, eh, stuff like this doesn't happen to people like me. Right. And he shopped it around, and a few months later, I'm on, on a call with the uh, Tom Winchester at Heyday and he's head of production. And again, I'm thinking, you know, they, they must have confused me with somebody else if this doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. But now I've had to sit on that news for a very long time because, you know, there's all sorts of contractual reasons why you can't announce things before it, it comes out in deadline or whatever. But yeah, it's yeah, been, quite, been hard. quite surreal. <laughs> yeah, it has been. A, every time I see a tweet and somebody's like, you know, what do you most want to see adapted for TV? And uh, <laughs> my mate, Steve McHugh, said, and about a week before the announcement, Priest of Bones, and I was like, I can't say anything. <laughs> You're like, don't. <laughs> oh, oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's really cool. But yeah, it's been very, very surreal, but it's extremely cool. Oh, yeah. Well, and I know, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of steps involved. Do you know, you probably don't know at this time, but are you going to have any kind of say? I know that they kind of go, it goes either way. You you see authors are either super involved, you know, like George R. R. Martin or, or Rowling. And then you have other authors that are like, no, I literally just sold the rights. And then they told me to have a nice day. <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, again, it'd be somewhere in between. I've got a consultancy role on it. I mean, George R. R. Martin obviously worked in film and TV before he was an author, although he knows the industry inside out. I wouldn't know how to be involved to that extent, I must admit. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not a script writer. I'm not a TV person at all. But at the same time, I wouldn't just chuck it at him and say, do what you like. You know, I think that's that'd be a shame. And, you know, they, they want me involved to an extent. How how much, I don't really know. I guess we'll, we'll have to see as it progresses. It's a yeah. whole new world for me, I must admit. Oh, I bet. I think that'll be so exciting once it starts going, just to be able to, you know, go on set and see your world come to life before your eyes. I think that would be something, is that something you're looking forward to? Oh, absolutely. Especially as Heyday are a British company. So I mean, they'll presumably work on it in this country, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I can go to set at some point if we get to that point. Yeah. That That would be amazing, I must admit. Yeah, well, I think that, well, especially in England, the the locations there are so much more authentic, you know, historically. I, you would think that it would just, everyone would film there, <laughs> to be honest, when you're doing a Yeah, a they do fantasy. make a lot of TV over here in um, Prague in the Czech Republic. They make an awful lot of historical and fantasy TV because, I mean, the architecture is just perfect for it. It really is. Yeah. No, but, it's uh, the, Prague the, is gorgeous. <laughs> Yeah, the city in the book, Ellenberg, is completely based on Edinburgh in Scotland. I wondered which, about that because I thought the, the the pronunciation sounded similar. So I was wondering, if have you yeah. spent a lot of time in Scotland? Yeah, quite a lot. Edinburgh's my wife's home city. That's where she's originally from. And she's still got family up there. So we do try and, well, obviously we can't go this year, but we do try and get up at least once a year. Oh, good. And that's an absolutely beautiful city. It really yeah. is. We we definitely want to go. My my boyfriend is was born in Edinburgh. Oh, cool. And, yeah, raised in the US. So he but he hasn't been back, I think, since he was in his early twenties. But yeah, that's definitely on our list as soon as we're out of this mm. lockdown. We definitely want to go over there and definitely. and uh check it out. Cause I would imagine the scenery is very inspiring for a writer. Always Scotland is an absolutely beautiful country. It really is. If you do get the chance, it's well worth doing. Awesome. And so, you know, just let's play fantasy for a moment. If you actually had, you know, up to you to cast anybody, who would you 
think for in your mind would play Thomas than Bloody Anne? Oh, now you see, I'm, I keep getting asked this, and I'm hopeless at actors because I just don't. <laughs> I don't watch TV. Okay. I, Thomas, I'd love to say Tom Hardy if I thought we could get him. Mm. I mean, he is probably mm-hmm. slightly too old for the character, but I don't care because he's just brilliant. He really he's is amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's there's a British actor called Oh God, that's where I'm going to forget his name, isn't it? I told you I'm hopeless at this. Aiden, I forget his surname. He was in Poldark if you saw that on BBC America. Oh, okay. I've seen uh, trailers of it. Is I can't remember. But yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. bloody Anne, I wouldn't have the faintest idea, to be honest with you. Yeah. Aiden Turner, that's it. It's just suddenly Aiden come Tur- to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, a great Aiden actor. Hold up. And he, he was the vampire in the, the UK version of Being Human as well. He was really, really scary in that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he totally looks the part as well. Bloody Anne, like, I don't know. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it's going to. What I would hate was be if they prettied her up for the TV. Mm. Yes. She's supposed to be this bitter, scarred, battle-hardened soldier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, put, she has like a scar some, on her face. Yeah, and... exactly. If they put some flawless 20-year-old girl <laughs> in the party, it would just ruin it. It really would. <laughs> so fingers crossed on that score. Well, you know, I think we're we're moving more towards the trend where, where people, um, where films are getting cast a lot more authentic and those those roles are kind of getting blurred finally where there's not the stereotypical, you know, alpha male and uh, damsel in distress character. I mean, it's taken a long time and they've made progress, but I, I do feel in 2020, especially we're seeing a lot more, you know, obviously diversity and just more women that don't necessarily have to be all gussied up. You know, they can be the strong heroine, but not in high heels, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that, yeah. Like you say, it's, it's taking its time, but I think we're getting there in the end, aren't we? Which yeah. is good. It's great to see. Yeah. Very good. Very refreshing. So I think you'll probably be in, in good hands. <laughs> oh, definitely. I know I'm in very good hands with the studio. Definitely. Yeah. And you actually have a quite an extensive cast of characters. How do you keep track of that while you're writing? Do you have like a story Bible or files yeah. on each of them? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do have a, a story Bible, a world Bible that's got everything in it i mean you've got to remember stupid things like you know where the scar is on the face of somebody that hasn't been in the last two books if they bring back if you know if you bring them back their scar can't have moved kind of thing do you know what i mean yeah Silly eye color little detail. yeah everything like that and how many if you've said how many turrets there are on the palace you've got to remember how many turrets there are in the on the palace <laughs> so it doesn't lose one or grow one while you're not looking <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the best thing about keeping a character Bible for your extensive cast list is getting to use the strike-through font when you kill one off. It's very oh, satisfying. Nice. <laughs> well, I can imagine in a gangster novel, you probably Absolutely. have a yeah. lot of character deaths. Uh, <laughs> there, there is quite a lot of body count, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I know what you mean. I was just editing one of my books uh, the other day, and I realized as I'm reading that my the type of couch I had in the scene changed. It went from a leather couch to a velvet couch. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, someone's going to you know catch this so yeah it, it is, is so little details done. yeah well you get so caught up in the story itself and the characters that you you sometimes overlook yeah those little details which is great that's why we have editors too yeah, um, well exactly oh honestly my copy editor saved me from myself with priest of bones she really <laughs> did i don't know if you probably haven't actually read it but the the end of the plot is very very time dependent 
you know, th certain things have to happen on certain days for it to work. And bless her, my copy editor spotted that somehow I had my final climactic week was a day shorter than all my other weeks. Oh my god, thing <laughs> didn't work. I was just like, copy editors do not get enough credit for the amount of work they do. I tell you, they, they really yeah. don't. <laughs> they it really must don't. Be so it's such a specialist job as well. It must be so difficult. I mean, she sent me Excel sheets and all filled out with tables of the days and what happened when and i'm like you know this better than i do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there's just i mean w you have to put on two different hats you know when you're being creative and then when you have to go in and edit and i think for authors we're very more we lean more towards the creative side so it is hard to put on that hat and yeah copy editors and 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 book editors are a godsend because they you know they draw attention to like things that we we're like, oh no, it sounds amazing. And they're like, no, actually, <laughs> you know, it's it's purple prose or it's this or it's that. So yeah, it's it's very we're very fortunate to have good editors. And like you said, they're so underrated. I mean, they just the work they do, the slog of, you know, because you we're not their only clients, you know, that's we we tend to oh, think exactly. oh, it's just my editor, but it's like, no, they probably have, you know, eight to ten other you know, authors that they're doing the same thing with. So or at least yeah. I would have thought, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how many books, obviously um, you mentioned Priest of Gallows. Yep. And, that'll be the third. Okay. Uh, and so then that's how out, so sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, so that's out next year, correct? Yeah, that should be May or June next year, depending on you know, everything. But somewhere yeah. around there. And then there's a there's a fourth one. It was originally going to be a trilogy. There's a story there. It was originally going to be a trilogy. It is now a quartet. So the fourth book was Priest of Crowns, which is oh, going to be awesome. out in 2022, probably in the summer. Oh, that's but funny. yeah, it was going to be a trilogy because that's traditional, isn't it? Fancy books come mm -hmm. in trilogies, but mm -hmm. um, except sometimes they don't. Right. And they don't have to. John Gwynn famously did an extremely popular. Uh, quartet as well. Oh, I don't know if he did it on purpose or by accident, but I've done it completely by accident. So, mm. as I say, I, I'm very thorough with the outlining, and I, I've always known how the last book in the series is going to end since I was writing the first one. I outline at that sort of high storyboard level. So I knew where I was going, and I had my outline for what was then book three and final. And it was a 15-page outline, and I'd written 50-odd thousand words of it, and I thought, you know what, Pete? You're on page two of the outline. This didn't get a work, dude. <laughs> yeah, you're going to need to expand this. <laughs> would have ended up with a half a million word book, and I know that would have made me very popular. <laughs> but so I, I told my agent, she was like, eh, we'll see what we can do. And I had conversations with Joe Fletcher, who's absolutely wonderful and incredibly understanding. <laughs> and we said, look, can we make it two more books instead of one more book? Because this, that, and the other. And she was like, Yep, I agree. That sounds like a good idea. Make it two more books. Wonderful. So right. we made it two more books. And I looked at the outline. I thought, right, chop that in half then. And then I looked <laughs> at the outline for what's now book three and thought, yeah, well, now it just stops, McLean. That is no use to Man or Beast, <laughs> is it? So all oh, the amount of plot gymnastics I had to do to put a full book's worth of narrative arc into what was effectively a book just chopped it off was nobody's business. So, But we got there in the end. I mean, Okay, Gallows great. is done and it's been edited and Joe's very happy with it, so that works. But oh my dice, I'm just I don't want to have to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so that well, that brings me to my next question then. So it is definitely going to end at four. It is definitely going to end at four. Yeah, I know exactly where it's going. I know what. Well, I've already written the final scene of the final book, so okay. I know where we're going. It is only going to be four. I I don't want to be 
one of these series that goes on forever until everyone's lost interest in it right. or people have died of old age before the last one's come <laughs> out kind of thing. There's not what I want to do. I, I know the story I'm telling and well, I, I thought I could yeah. tell it in three books. I can definitely tell it in four in books. In four, yeah. <laughs> so that would be it done and onto something else. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you have any plans to do any side stories or spinoffs of, of any of the characters? I've done a couple, actually. They've been in Grimdark Magazine, which some of your listeners might have heard of. It's an mm-hmm. online magazine run by a chap called Adrian Collins. I mean, it's yeah. published very big name fantasy authors and myself, so <laughs> which is nice. So, yeah, I did an origin story for Billy the Boy, which is okay. told from Billy's point of view. And I did a spin-off Bloody Anne story as well called The Blade's Edge, oh. which I can't remember which issues these were in, I should know. I think Billy's story was called Hunger and the Lady. I think that was in issue 18, but I could be wrong about that. But it's all, it's all searchable on the Grimdark Magazine website anyway. And it's a, yeah, that's a, really that's a great mag. magazine. It yeah. is. They have some really high-quality stuff in there. It's good articles and interviews and things as well. So it was, that was a pleasure to do. I'd love to do some more of those. I mean, in in the fullness of time, if I ever get the chance, I'd like to do what Mark Lawrence did with his Road Brothers anthology, because his um, okay. Prince of Thorns books are kind of narratively similar to the Rose okay. Throne books in that they're first person with a motley crew of side characters. And he did a short story for each side character and published them as an anthology, okay. which I'd, I'd quite like to do something like That's, that. Yeah, that sounds really time. interesting. I th- mm. I think that I think fans of the books would would want something like that because it kind of gets it all into the same the same book and you can just sort of flip through. Possibly, yeah. I mean, story collections are a much harder sell than novels are. I mean, Mark mm-hmm. self-published Road Brothers to start with, and it was only when it was doing well that his publisher Voyager picked it up. And you know, he's a lot more famous than I am, so <laughs> I don't know if I'd get away with it. But it'd be a lot of fun to do, if nothing else. Right. Well, and also, I think, you know, and this is obviously projecting far into the future, but, you know, if the television show gets up and running and it does really well, you know, they may ask you to do more if, you know, because I, I think typically shows do what, one book a season for the most you part. Should, yeah. So. yeah. <clears throat> so would you be open to for writing stuff if they were like, we need more, you know, more stuff for, for the show? Oh, absolutely. It would have to be slightly different stuff. So yeah. not more Thomas Piety because Thomas's story is is told at that point. Yeah. Um, I think I think a bloody Anne spin-off book could have legs, definitely. She's actually my favorite character in the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean I'd never never say never. We'll we'll have to see what happens. But I think there's at the end I can't obviously can't give away the plot of the next two books, but yeah. <laughs> at the end of book four, the door is still open for several characters to have further adventures of sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love those types of endings where it's, you get the finality, but at the same time, you're sort of like got this window to peer into and think, Oh, I wonder what they're off to now. They're, they're still Mm. doing their adventure. Oh, quite. Yeah. I mean, you think you look at Lord of the Rings. I mean, obviously Frodo's story was very much told. And mm-hmm. over, and off to Grey Havens he went. But I'd have read of what Sam Gamgee did next book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of characters uh, in that series that you're kind of like, oh, I, I wonder what, you know, 
their origin story was or mm. what they're doing, you know, even just the the Legolas character, for example, and the whole elf, the elven race. I thought that would be a really fun series, you know, if Tolkien had done that. But <laughs> I'm not really a fan of elves. I must no. <laughs> not, hands in fantasy writer card, I know, but no, I'm not, not really a big fan of elves. What's your what's your favorite fantasy creature? No, no, I, I don't really go in for that sort of thing. But yeah. certainly from Tolkien, it's the dwarves, definitely. They're, they're the great. Dwarves. Uh, yeah, basically yeah. angry Scotsmen. Aren't they? <laughs> they're great. Oh my gosh, I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> yeah. Oh now, I mean, I, I prefer the fantasy. That's a weird thing to say. I like fantasy books that don't have very much fantasy in them, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you look at my stuff, there, there is magic in it, but they're not about magic. They're about human people doing people things. Mm-hmm. I don't go in for you know sort of dragons and elves and much in the way, much in the, for the way of wizards and that sort of thing. Right. Personally, <laughs> I I love completely out there fantasy, but mm-hmm. it's of a different kind. I mean, my friend Ed McDonald wrote a series called The Raven's Mark, which starts with Blackwing, and mm-hmm. they are very fantastical, as in it's very very much nothing like a historical period of Earth. But right. there aren't dragons and elves and things. It's a kind of post-magical apocalypse, diesel punk almost kind of setting with oh, cool. cannon and neon lights and warring gods and horrible monsters roaming the desert that was formed when this basically nu- magical nukes went off and it's, it's what's left of the world after that. So it's very, very different, but in a different kind of way. Yeah, I like that. that. It's called a Raven's Mark. I'll like. have to look that up. Oh, yeah, yes. The first one's called Blackwing. It's really, really good. And oh, another friend of mine, Anna Smith-Spark, writes, it's, it's kind of black metal fantasy, for want of a better word <laughs> for it. She wrote a series called The Empires of Dust, which starts with Court of Broken Knives. Oh, wow. And it, it's kind of a cross between young Sauron goes on a heroin bender and <laughs> what if Alexander the Great didn't die when he should have done? Oh, <laughs> they, are, they are the bleakest. Well, she cites <laughs> Ascot Backer as her biggest influence and yeah, she makes him look cheerful to an extent. Honestly. <laughs> but they are phenomenal. They're written like almost like Homeric Homeric poetry. Oh, cool. Really very like different to your average fantasy book. But that's the kind of thing I like. You know, different but in its own way kind of it's thing. Own, its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of I think like Six of Crows was was similar to that by Le- I don't know if you've read that one by Leo Bardugo. I have I've heard of it. I haven't actually read that one, but yeah, no, I've heard good things. Yeah, it's that's that similar sort of fantasy world, and there's magic, but it's it's their regular people in a sense, like what you were describing. She has this whole, you know, the geisha verse, but yeah, it's dark and it's kind of you know that atmosphere of like being murky and the dark alleys and the old taverns and the ships and you know that kind of feel to it. I, I like uh-huh. that as well. Oh, yeah. that sounds right up my street, actually. Yeah, well, I'll have to yeah. keep an eye out for that. Yeah, excellent. Now, do you ever see yourself writing in any other genres in the future, like any other genres you want to explore? Possibly. I would like to do a straight crime thriller one of mm. these days, which it seems everybody's everybody's trying to do that at the minute because, you know, the market for that, for psychological right. thrillers especially at the minute is vastly bigger than the market for fantasy. And oh, yeah. that's, I, I read a lot of that kind of stuff, and I really, really enjoy it. So, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's a big change. I think every genre has its own – conventions to extend doesn't it i, mean, mm-hmm. I know i just mm-hmm. said 
don't like conventional fantasy, but yeah, <laughs> you can only break the rules when you understand what they are. I think, Ab- and I, absolutely, I, I know certainly uh, your more procedural type of crime novels very much have their conventions in the same way that category romance has very strict conventions that the readership expect you to follow. Yes, and I, th- I think the thriller market's the same. So it would be a very steep learning curve. But it's mm-hmm. something I would like to do. I must admit, a couple of my fantasy writer friends have got thrillers on the go at the minute and uh, jen williams has got one coming out early yeah. next year okay so, interested to see so i'd certainly yeah. like to do that but that's probably what i write i think i mean i've dabbled yeah. with science fiction i've written well i've written for warhammer i mean it's debatable whether that's science fiction or if it's fantasy in space really i suppose right. so <laughs> space that, opera. that's a lot that's a lot of fun to do but when you write for a, a genre ip that's pre-existing They've already done all the heavy lifting for you. You know, mm-hmm. if you write Warhammer, you're not doing any world building because you're given that. And they start write me a story about X doing Y in this bit of the setting. And you're like, okay, you trundle off and do that. But mm-hmm. you, you know, you've not got to do the building of the coherent world, which if if you're writing original science fiction, there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done. And I'm Yeah, I'm no I'm nobody's idea of a scientist. <laughs> I like genres where I just make stuff up to be honest. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's the the fun of, part about fantasy is, I mean, even though you do have to have some sort of uh, consistency with the rules and, you know, the, the world building, at the same time, you can literally just make up your own sense of gravity if you if you want, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's Crazy. a lot of the fun of writing fantasies. You've got that mm-hmm. almost complete creative freedom, pretty much do anything you like within you know, sort of realms of sensibleness, but... Right. I, know, I know when I was writing urban fantasy and I set it in London and I had to be very careful never to specify exactly where in London we were because <laughs> I, I don't want to spend all day on Google Street View making yeah. sure there is a corner <laughs> shop on that corner and all this sort of thing because you know there's going to be some pedant in the readership. Yep. That'll put, oh, Lord, I'll, I'll tell you a, a funny <laughs> convention story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was on a panel of – I was about world building, actually, with three or four other writers, obviously, though. I didn't really know at the time. And I, I was making pretty much this point. And I said, you know, if you're setting it in a real place, you know, you've got to be absolutely bang on. Because I know it doesn't matter. I said, but there'll always be that one guy. <laughs> the panelist sitting next to me turned to me and said, actually, I am that one guy. Oh, you know, it's so true. I, I did. I've done the same. I, I have a magical world building, but I also do some real life settings. I kind of blend the two. But I, I have an at, I have an atlas next to me. I Google. I've I've literally had to Google. Okay, how long would it re- realistically take for them to track from the bottom of this mountain to the top of this mountain in Romania or whatever? Because you do, you think about that with with the way that the internet is now, there's going to be one person that's like, yeah. oh no, that's that's not possible. That that's, that's not enough time for them to walk that hill or something. It's just amazing how we have to you know, it gives you anxiety. You're like, I, I should just, why am I even doing this? I should just make the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly that. I mean, I think one of the things I struggle with with fantasy actually is travel times and distances. Cause you know, I've never ridden a horse in my life you know? and you have to do enough research that yes, it would have taken roughly 10 days for argument's sake to cover the distance given the amount mm-hmm. of weight the horses are carrying and the weather conditions and all this sort of thing. You think, yeah, actually, you can't just make you can't just make everything up. You know? Right. Yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> or if you're on a ship, you know, realistically, how long would it take for them to sail from, you know, this island to that island or, you know, it, yeah, you have to have to do your research and that's, that can be fun. That's part of the fun is doing research for a book. I mean, I don't know about you, but do you, do you get excited? Like when you first have that idea, how, how much time do you actually spend on, on doing the research? Is that a fun well, I, part? For I you? tend to do it as I go, but yeah, I do enjoy it. I'm a big sort of armchair fan of social history. Mm. I'm, I'm not much into, you know, lineages of Kings and Queens and things, but mm-hmm. it, what interests me is how real people, normal people lived in a given period. So, I mean, I was writing priest of bones. It's a roughly Tudor ish setting. Yeah. So I, there's a an English historian called Lisa Picard who writes social history of a variety of different periods. And she wrote one called Elizabeth's London about obviously London under the Tudor Queen Elizabeth I. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely fascinating because it's not about life at court. It's about butchers and weavers and fishwives and real people. And that's the sort of thing that interests me. Yeah. I, most of my characters are poor people from the streets basically certainly in the first book so i wanted to get a sense of what their lives would have been like so yeah they're definitely they're more as you were saying it's not told enough and i think they're more relatable people want to read about uh, a character that they can identify with not you know a king or queen that you know you're never going to be on the throne in your life (laughs) so exactly that yeah yeah i think so yeah, absolutely. Are you, so we, we talked about, you have the two books coming out in the next couple of years. Aside from that, have you started anything um, new at all? Or are you just kind of taking a break and working on edits and, and working on that last, the last work of the Rose Throne book? Or or do you have like another idea that's sort of, I, I like to call them plot bunnies. That kind yeah, of oh, I've always got plot bunnies. I've got, they're popping all over the place. But I'm I'm forbidding myself from actually working on them because I have got a deadline for Priest of Grounds. So Gallows is done now. That's been through edits. It's it's waiting on a copy edit pass at the moment, and then that will be done. But I've got covers. I've I've actually seen the cover for Priest of Crowns yet, which is surreal because I haven't written the thing. Oh, wow. "Mm." Yeah. Well, we we (laughs) managed to get the same cover designer for the whole series. And Joe's view was, look, we're going to get her to do the fourth one while we've got her time kind of thing. Because if if we give it six months (laughs) and then she's booked for two years, we're in trouble. So. So yes, yeah, I, I have seen I have seen the cover for Priest of Crowns, which does not yet exist. So I need okay. to summon <laughs> no that pressure. into existence as my primary focus for the next <laughs> six eight months. <laughs> you know, your covers are absolutely beautiful. Who's the cover artist? Casey Anderson, who's okay. uh, she, well, she works at Barclay Publishing, but is also freelance. Okay. So yeah, I'm absolutely overjoyed with them. Yeah, the two new ones are every bit as good as the first two. I think she's a fantastic designer. I'm very very glad we managed to get her again for the second two. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you can definitely see from the the first and the second book, the consistency, you can tell right away it's the same artist. So that's awesome that you can have that going through the whole series. Absolutely continues through. There's the same sort of motifs and design ethos. Fantastic job. Their cover designers, I think, also are underrated to a degree. I mean, we get all the... Uh, you know, the success and we get the notoriety for the book itself. But I definitely think the artists are just way underappreciated. They're amazing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, people, I think, you know, the general public don't realize how much of a team sport it is. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, we write the words, but the words we write aren't the words that end up in the book, word for word. <laughs> right. you know, by, the, by the time it's been through developmental edits, structural line edits, copy edits, proofreading, all the rest of it. And then you say mm-hmm. you've got 
cover designers, artists, obviously mm -hmm. your agent does an awful lot of yeah. lifting. I mean, this is what acknowledgements are for, I think, is to make sure these people do get the credit that is due. Yeah. Yeah, I know my acknowledgements are always like three pages long. <laughs> like, it takes a village. <laughs> Definitely. Well, it, it really does. I mean, especially then if you're factoring in beta readers, crit partners, all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There's an awful lot of people putting time yeah. and effort into a finished book. Yeah. And then you have, did you get, you ended up getting a fantasy map for the book? There's a city map. Okay. In the first two books, I'm not sure what we're going to do with the second ones because a lot of them are set, without giving too much away, okay. are set elsewhere. So okay. I'm okay. not sure we're using the map we've got makes sense, but I don't know if we want to do another one or not. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I could remind Johnny actually... that conversation. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure because I have. I actually, I have your book, and but I picked it up at a at Emerald City Comic Con back in I think 2017. Oh, okay. And I uh, managed to get the advanced reader copy, so I don't think oh, the map that doesn't been have, put no, in that yet. doesn't have the map in it. No. Yeah. So I have to order another copy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like. I, I love maps. I'm, I'm a sucker for fantasy maps. I think it really adds so much to the book. Yeah. I'm, oh, there are some fantastic. Some of them are works of art. They really are. Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, the the one in Priest of Bones is just a map of Ellenburg, and it is it's deliberately a bit rough and ready and hand sketched looking. I love that. That's what the people in Ellenburg are like. But, I mean, you look at something like, we get Empires of Dust, it's got a phenomenal world map in mm -hmm. it at the start. I mean, it's the sort of thing you could get, get an A3 version of and frame it. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you end up framing your map? No, but I have got the book covers framed. I've got framed copies of all my nice. books up in my awesome. library at home. Oh, that's cool. You can stare up at them. <laughs> it's incredibly vain, but I don't No, care. not at all. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think it's vain. It's you know, writing a book is hard. It's probably one of the hardest things. And yeah, I mean, it's your accomplishment. I think that, yeah, you should frame it and blow it up and put it in front of you. So it acts as a reminder too. I think also when you have those days, as we all do, where you start getting that imposter syndrome mm -hmm. yeah. and you can kind of, you know, look up and be like, okay, I did this. I can do it again. <laughs> exactly that. I've done it five times. Well, I've done it six times now, but I've got five covers up so far. So I yeah. can do it again. <laughs> exactly. Because I, I don't know about you, but I sometimes when I sit down to write a new book, I literally will have this moment where I'm like, wait, how do I do this again? <laughs> you know, it's it's that very first blank page. And then as soon as you write that one, just one sentence, you're kind of like, you know, off to the races. But yeah. do you ever have that moment where you're like, oh, boy. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody does, as you say. You, you sit down and think, I have forgotten how to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But know, of course you haven't, and it comes back quick enough. But it is a strange sort of mental state for a little while, isn't it? You think, oh, yeah. <laughs> how do I do this again? <laughs> yeah, what, what what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Great. Well, I know you probably have to get going. I, I think it's, it's like I said, it's eight hours ahead where you're at. I'm in California. You're in the UK. But I did want to ask um, just one question, because I get this um, question a lot, too. What advice would you give aspiring authors and what was the best piece of advice you were ever given? Oh, I think the best piece of advice is read a lot and write a lot, mm -hmm. which is from Stephen King's on writing. I think a lot of aspiring authors get so caught up in writing, they forget to read. Mm -hmm. and you learn to write by writing, but also by reading and not just reading for pleasure, but you need to learn to read critically. 
Mm-hmm. So I think when you're trying to learn to write, read a book you enjoy and think, why am I enjoying this? What has the author done in this sentence, this paragraph, to make it have the impact it's had? And mm-hmm. you, it's kind of like doing English Lit back in high school. You know, you have to learn how to deconstruct what's in front of you and analyze how the author's achieved what they have and then try and adapt your own style to emulating it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah I, th- yeah, I think the best bit of advice I can give anybody is sit down and write. You know, just do the thing. Yeah, just practice. Good. You've, got to pra- you've just got to practice until it becomes good. You, know, you, can't yeah. expect, you can't expect to write like Hilary Mantle on your first go. It's just not going to happen. You know? right. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's that apprenticeship thing again. You know, you've got to, put, got to put the hours in. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been really fun. I got to learn more about you. So I definitely want to thank you for coming on. And I want to let everybody know that you can find Peter's books on Amazon. And of course, at your local bookstore. Please, please support indie bookstores if you're able to. And then you can also find Peter on Twitter. I highly recommend following him on Twitter. I, I love your Twitter feed. It's very entertaining and insightful. And <laughs> so you can find Pete at, at PeteMC666. And then you can also check out his website, talonwraith.com. And we'll put all those um, links in the show notes so people can find you and find your books. And we look forward to seeing what happens with the the TV ad- adaptation. So, yeah. So, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me on the show, Melissa. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. And please come back anytime. We want to keep track of what's going on in your career. And as you have your uh, next release, I'd love to have you back on to chat about it. That would be that'd be lovely. Thank you. Awesome. back hey, what do you guys think man that was a lot of fun peter was a lot of fun to chat with well a lot of fun from listening to chat with a lot of fun for me to listen to i had a great time i uh i, I love reading books i uh I, i've i've always been a big reader uh you can't tell by our, our motto of open mind read more you know, we're big on reading here and every time we have an author come on or writer I mean, anybody who creates his own but writers I have a big soft spot for because you're creating a story and it's really awesome i love to read and i love audiobooks so Go check out his books. Check out the audiobooks if you want to. Check out whatever you want of his. Peter McLean, thanks for coming on. And, you know, again, go check that stuff out. Now, if you like that, which I'm sure you did because you're still listening and you're here and you have good taste in books and good taste in podcasts, because if you listen to our show, you have the best taste in podcasts because we are, we are, we are unique. We are a very unique podcast. You're not going to find another show out there that's like us. I promise you. And if you do, let me know because I want to talk to him. But if you like that, head over to spoilerverse.com or go to your podcatcher, open it up, and search for Spoiler Country and uh, download all you know, just download all of our episodes. You want to do that. Oh, just do it every day. Just download, delete, download, delete. No, don't do that. That's cheating. But definitely go check our show out. And if you, if you want to go back in the back catalog and check out a lot of stuff we have, we have so many cool episodes with so many cool people. I mean, we have over 500 episodes for you to check out, which is a lot of content. So go do that. And go to spoilerverse.com. Check out all the other shows that we have. 
this month, my wife and I are doing over on Half Past Adventures a beer a day show where we just we do a beer advent calendar uh, from Costco and we open a beer, we talk about it, and we talk a little bit about what's going on in our life. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, check that over at Half Past Adventures. We got Bridge in the Geekdoms where you can learn all about news and breaking stuff coming out, Nerds from the Crypt where it's all horror stuff, funny about friends if so they do deep dives in the comics, and so much more. So do that at Splitverse.com. Check out the articles, reviews, leave some comments. Man, we love comments. Comments are great. Any, any kind of interaction, you know. Either comment on the website or comment or you know hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, one of our pages. Just, just you know, reach out. We love talking with you guys. Speaking of talking with you guys, if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord and chat with us all day long. We're active with that. I mean, I have it open right here looking at the tr- current chats from today. And we have a self-promotion channel. If you're, if you're a comic creator, come join and come promote your comic, man. We have a channel just for self-promotion. Drop your kicks early. Drop your comic or something like that. I guarantee you. You're going to have people interested and people are going to buy it. So do that. I promise you. So, once again, scpod.us slash discord. Thank you very much. And do that. And go to our store and buy something that helps us out. Now, the last thing I'm going to tell you to do, I'm going to tell you to do it, but I'm going to tell you is... In an oceans of podcasting, we are Cthulhu, and as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.